Hi, and welcome to The Investigation. I'm Kira Phillips. Thanks for joining us again. And I'm here with my co-host, Chris Vlasto, head of our investigative unit. And today we have a special edition episode for you. We are talking with not only one, but two people with unique insight into the investigations surrounding President Trump. We're going to talk with David Bossie, Donald Trump's former deputy campaign manager, and... And we have Keith Davidson. He's the lawyer for Stormy Daniels and Karen McDougal, both of the women who made headlines during the presidential campaign as having a relationship with President Trump, or then Mr. Trump. So it should be an exciting show. But first, I want to bring in our senior editorial producer, John Santucci, who has been covering the Trump family since the campaign. And our first guest, David Bossy, Trump's former deputy campaign manager. He's also co-host of the podcast Dave and Corey from Deep in the Swamp. He does that with former Trump campaign manager Corey Lewandowski. Now Dave is the CEO of Citizens United, a conservative nonprofit known for winning the landmark 2010 case that allowed corporations and unions unlimited independent political ad spending. But back during the Clinton administration, he was a chief congressional investigator. Dave, thanks for being with us. Let's get right to it. So Dave Bossy and I have known each other. This is now the third person we've had on this podcast that I've known for at least 25 years. <laughs> that says you're old. I don't know what, <laughs> uh, I don't know what else that says besides you got old. You have more gray hair, though, Dave. Yeah, than, uh, more stress. He's a, I think he lives he's a year his... older. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have a lot more stress. Well, and, and actually all, we had John Podesta, we had Lanny Davis. We wanted to have you on because back during the Clinton days, you were the... Uh, I was the chief investigator, yeah. Chief mm-hmm. investigator on the House Oversight Committee. Correct. Which is the committee now that Elijah Cummings is now the chairman. Correct. So you were the guy going after a White House. I think during the Clinton years, we did some very good work, but we also became so focused and so dedicated to the end result, which we all thought would be impeachment, mm-hmm. that we... We we really um, we over we overstepped we overreached the investigative uh, needs of what was going on. Look, we had the star operation and what they were doing, and we ran a completely parallel investigation. I think the American people. One of the reasons that Bill Clinton is popular today is because of the backlash against the overreach of our committee and what we did. And I think that that is what I look at this today. I think that I see some of the same patterns and practices going on. These guys are dedicated to the destruction of the president. And I'll, I'll just say it. They hate this president more than they love the country. But they said that about you. Right. Was just of course they did. Yeah, they, they, well, they never actually said that, but they thought that. No, there were no, articles no, they written about you. Well, there were plenty of articles written about me, right. but they never, they but, never, but, they no, never got but that. You thing. know what I'm saying is that the Clinton White House called you exactly the same thing. We were far from out of control, but we were, uh, we were dedicated to our mission, and that is what I see happening today on the Democrat side, and 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 I think. I, I'm encouraging them to continue down this path because the American people are very smart. They rejected what we did in 20 years ago, and they will reject this 20 years later because the American people will see it for what it is. Their single focus on on the Mueller report, when it comes out, whatever it is, we Mm -hmm. don't, none of us know uh, when it will be and what it will say. 
But if it says there was no collusion, there was no cooperation, no coordination, which I know that that's what it's going to say because there wasn't any, is that uh, the American people will say, okay, where are we? Go- what are we doing now to benefit America? How are we getting back to business? What are we doing to move on from it? And instead, the Democrats, instead of having a uh, an agenda for the American people will have an agenda for more investigation. Well, but wait, 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 wait. But yeah, on yeah. our podcast last episode, uh, Ty Cobb, the president's, the president's former, lawyer. former lawyer, said, called Bob Mueller an American hero and said this was not a witch hunt, which got enormous play all around the country. What do you think of Bob Mueller? Look, Bob Mueller is, a, is somebody who has lived his life in the public uh, arena. He is, whether he was served in the military or, uh, you know, at the Department of Justice, FBI. Um, is he an American hero? I, 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 I don't uh, qualify many. Uh, look, that's not my, those are not my words. I'm not going to uh, play the word game with you on him. I believe that he, um, from his report, I, I give, I, I, I really believe that we're going to see and I call for the report to be made public as much as humanly possible. We all understand the grand jury uh, components, right? The testimony mm-hmm. and the evidence that is grand jury. We won't be able to see that. And maybe we will later, mm-hmm. just like with the star operation, we, they had to go back and, and, and make that public after the fact. We, we'll see. But I'm interested in the two sets of rules of Bob Mueller. And the two sets of rules are one set of rules for the anybody with the Trump operation and anybody else. Why were the decisions made by the FBI, uh, by people working for Mueller, to to not have uh, a continuous investigation into Hillary, Huma Abedin? Because all of those things fell under his purview. Well, but hold on a second, though. They they really didn't. The, the purpose of the special counsel was to investigate Russian collusion as it related ah, to the Trump now campaign. Now you just hit it on the head. So how does... Paul Manafort, Roger Stone, all of these tangential people. But you're uh, saying Manafort, this report should went, include Huma Abedin, Hillary Clinton. That's not a part of what this investigation was. Of course, it. Of course, How? John, he had to look at what Comey did. He had to look at what the FBI did as it relates to the Russia investigation. Was he dedicated just to adversely affect the president? I want to take you back up to Capitol Hill because this is your area of expertise. So, you know, many people were, were commenting uh, a- after the testimony of Michael Cohen uh, that the Republicans were not doing uh, the best job possible. It was their first time. Let's just be honest. These are these are things you you're not going to be perfect on the first day. You're going to have a baseline, and then you're going to fig- so what figure. What they have done differently? Right. Look, I would have attacked michael cohen's credibility a lot more than they did they 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 did a decent job at it but i think they could have gone much harder so how did the republicans screw up that hearing though well here's in your opinion well first of all they did not do a good job with the witness they did not have a well orchestrated message that was going to be their goal of the day mr whitaker himself uh you know and 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 i don't know the i've i I literally only met him a couple of times I, i i respect him but I don't know him and is I don't think he came in with the right mentality of how to deal with being a combative witness look I think it was funny doing the fi- your five minutes is up right that was a mm-hmm. that was a laugh out loud kind of quick but it yeah. didn't but it didn't help for the setting the stage for the day okay and, and in my opinion so those are the things that you don't want to see happen but the look the staff didn't I don't think the staffing and the members when you are 
running a committee like this, you have to have the members in the seats for the hearing. If you looked around the room, weren't many there weren't many Republicans sitting in the seats. Right. That's a very dangerous thing if you're the ranking member because you don't have any cavalry to help you at all. So that as the expert on this, I mean, have you offered your services to these committees? Have you gone up there and helped them in any way? You know, I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a guy who is happy to uh, provide uh, any type of advice and counsel and, and historical perspective uh, if they ask. Have they? Uh, 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 yes. Uh, I, and have you, you, and have you, you provided? You, you know, I, well, what I've tried to do, yes, of course, I have talked to um, members of those committees, including, uh, you know, the leadership of both of those committees. Uh, so we're talking about judiciary and oversight. And oversight, yes, sir. Uh, and, and so, and, and I just think that, you know, they see the world in the right way. I think that this is moving very quickly. You're not going to be perfect on day one. And I think that what they learned kind of in, in, in a good way, if you're a judiciary, without really much harm to anyone, you learned what your strengths and what your weaknesses were and how to get better for the next time. Because on the heels of that, now we see the 81 letters going out. Mm -hmm. uh, if I'm one of those 81 people, if I'm one of those 81 entities, I don't answer. So I don't respond. Tell I, I, tell, I would tell you... them never to, never to respond. How about the White House? Is the White House ready for the uh, for the? You know what the onslaught is going to be. You know how all these subpoenas and these battles. I would say, I would say you're never ready enough. Okay, I'm just a guy who wants to make sure that you control every aspect of everything, so you know what's coming. You see around corners. Do I see a killer team that is ready for the impeachment proceedings that are? potentially coming and i and i see that's where these democrats are headed we are headed to impeachment so do i think the white house is ready um from a staff standpoint i would say no today do i believe they are in the process of getting ready yes going back to our old uh history and the clinton white house was very smart uh having two separate groups mike Brilliant. mccurry uh, mike mccurry dealt with the briefings and then they had a whole legal team with lanny davis i think that's very important and, and i do think they should they had an inside outside operation that was beyond the pale they were incredibly good the best not 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 second best not like runners up the best there are people out there okay lawyers former members but of that, congress but it's not a, it doesn't experts. exist now though no, I, not, I mean, this could happen now. This could, I mean, impeachment. No, no, Chris, you're exactly right. right. Impeachment We're not happens ready. Happens very quickly. You know, yeah. and I and and you know, I don't I don't know that I have the the dates in front of me, but you know, it, it was basically early part of September, maybe September 9th, that Ken Starr filed his report. It was about December 19th that the House voted That's on right. impeachment. Okay. Yeah. So report yeah. to him to actual impeachment was was 10, 11 weeks. Then the trial started in January 9th or 10th and the vote to acquit in the Senate was mid-February. Yeah. So it was only about five week trial. So you have to be ready that this thing is not going to be a slow roll. OK, it has a potential not to be a slow roll. Let me say so, that. So is the is, president ready for that? What is his state I of think mind he, I right think now? He, is is it is it impacting his ability to lead this country? Oh, no. The Mueller probe, all these subpoenas. No, it's not. He's not, fine. Not even for a second. Not even for a second. This pr look, It's not bothering him at all. First of all, 
as he's tweeting all about all presidents, all presidents. Uh, you know, not all presidents have had Twitter, okay, because it didn't exist, okay? Well, we get to so, see inside the president's no, no, no. head on well, a regular I, basis because Yeah, but it Twitter. would be pretty scary to have been inside President Clinton's head in the 90s if Twitter had existed. But every president, whether they're going through Iran-Contra, whether they're going through 9-11, and whether, whatever they're going through, whether it's a crisis, whether it's a scandal— they're they're the president of the United States. They're taking care of their business. And these things, you have a team around you that you need to to be there to work on whatever that issue is of the day. How is this going to impact 2020? Well, you know, I think um, I think the president has the potential to benefit from all of this. This is where I was headed, which was where we started. Let's just close this circle with congressional overreach, with overzealous prosecutions with the American people are very smart they they saw what happened to Bill Clinton and in the mirror image you can see this playing out again in its reverse the Democrats are paying us back for what we did to Bill Clinton there is a piece of that as part of their motivation here that we will see the American people respond to these investigations whether they believe that Congress is overzealous if there is a congressional overreach the boomerang effect is is the ability to help the president that's where the democrats have to play this very smart but is it a distraction though do you think that the president will have a hard time not paying attention to it right yeah look you have to pay attention there, 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 nobody's saying that it's not going to be something that the president and his team will be focused on. It is simply that uh, it's not going to dominate his mind. He's out there working every day. I've seen him over the last several years during the campaign and in this White House where he's able to compartmentalize. All presidents do that. That's what you're paid to do as president is focus on the big pictures and then get to the other things as needed. So yes or no, Trump is going to be reelected? 100%. Dave Perfect. Bossy, Dave. thanks. Thanks for having me. It's great to have Dave, who's very close to Team Trump, giving insight into how they're thinking and how they plan to manage the special counsel investigation and all the investigations that may follow. And as always, we look forward to hearing different viewpoints from all the principal players as we continue covering the investigation. Now, coming up, we're going to hear from Keith Davidson, the lawyer who negotiated those hush money deals for adult film star Stormy Daniels and Playboy playmate Karen McDougal. It was supposed to be the easiest deal in the, in the history of man. What he says motivated Trump to pay up and Cohen to flip in just a moment. Welcome back to The Investigation. I'm here with our chief national affairs correspondent, Tom Yamas, who just interviewed the former attorney for Stormy Daniels, Keith Davidson, which has already made a lot of headlines around the country. But actually, Keith has decided to come back here for the podcast, and the three of us are going to kind of dive a little deeper into uh, what didn't air on TV. And I think there was a lot of issues that you covered. You know, Chris, I think what was interesting about this interview is that Keith sort of took us into the negotiations as much as he could because of attorney-client privilege of how the whole thing went down with Michael Cohen, Stormy Daniels. And, and I think what the biggest headline out of this interview was the catalyst, why Michael Cohen eventually decided to pay Stormy Daniels and to negotiate with Keith Davidson. Because as he'll tell you, they came to an agreement 
But Michael Cohen initially missed the first payment. I'll let Keith take it from there. Glad to be here, guys. And that's exactly right. What I think has been missed about the story over the last year um, is the the catalyst for the payment and and how it came to be. And you cannot talk about the Stormy Daniels uh, settlement without talking about uh, the Access Hollywood tape. Uh, and, and really, that was the catalyst. And what was happening? Like, take me back. So so Stormy essentially doesn't get paid. She's getting upset. You're getting upset? Yes. The first payment. Yes. I mean, look, there was a, a, a lengthy contract that was signed and executed. There was a funding deadline, and uh, the, the funding deadline was missed. Uh, so the contract was canceled. Uh, there was no deal. Um, and it was shortly after that contract was missed that the Access Hollywood tape aired. Uh, and it was almost immediately after the Access Hollywood tape aired, um, the the settlement came came back on, and then there was a second agreement that was signed and re-executed. But let me play devil's advocate here. Just say, if I'm Melania Trump, and I see the the Access Hollywood tape, I'm already. If I'm Donald Trump, I'm already. Melania in the is so much more beautiful than you. <laughs> but uh, no, but but uh, it's it's. I'd be. The argument is whether he's trying to keep it private for personal reasons for Melania or for political reasons. So can't he still make the explanation now that, hey, guys, I wanted to pay it off and I got crazy to want to pay it off. I didn't want to get Melania more angry. I was protecting the family. Yeah. Well, I think that's a natural argument. And I think that's the argument that that one would make. Right. That's the John Edwards defense. And now I think in retrospect and and the way that the Southern District of New York, I believe, looked at it was that, uh, you know, this affair, if it happened, uh, and there's no reason to think that it didn't, um, that Stormy Daniels gave uh, an interview to In Touch magazine in 2011. So even if what you're saying is true, that uh, Trump and, and his team knew about this in certainly 2007, 2011, and 12, and 13, and 14, and 15, and 16, all those years, they knew about it when he declared to become president. They knew about it when he became the Republican nominee. And it wasn't until after the Access Hollywood tape aired that the case ultimately settled. So did you ever put two and two together, or was this when the prosecutors from the Southern District put you in there and they grilled you for 15 hours and asked for 1,500 documents? I mean, did you put two and two together, or was it when they started questioning you about the timeline in Access Hollywood that you were like, okay, wait a minute, this this may make sense? Well, sitting down w- with the Southern District for so long, uh, and and the, the, the competence on that team uh, cannot be understated. I mean, they, they are uh, extremely efficient, bright, uh, targeted, focused, uh, no nonsense. Uh, and, and it's a, a, a stressful event to sit down with any federal prosecutor and, and, and federal agents. Um, you know, under the penalty of 28 U.S.C. 1001 and false statements to a federal a federal officer. But it became clear to me as the hours went on that the anticipation of an Ed, or John Edwards defense was clear. And, and it was the, the Access Hollywood tape that provided the catalyst for settlement and sort of defeated that anticipated John Edwards defense. So, so your argument is that before the Access Hollywood, he would have had the John Edwards defense, but after Access Hollywood, it becomes clear that it's political, right? Well, I mean, look, nothing's ever really black and white, uh, you know, especially in the law. But I think it became, uh, it's certainly a a vital piece of evidence um, in order to defeat that that Because you said this in an interview, the the prosecutors, and maybe you allege this as well, the Trump campaign could have survived Access Hollywood. They could not have survived Access Hollywood and sex with a porn star. 
Well, who knows? I mean, we're now living in 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 upside down world. You know, where up is down and right is left, and it's like. Uh, ghost, but the Axis Hollywood tape hit like a bomb. I mean, I mean, Ryan Priebus has been reported, you know, reported that Trump should get out of the race. I mean, oh, that yeah. that hit like a bomb. Yeah. Agreed. Do you think, though, looking now that the Southern District is investigating, do you think this is an impeachable offense? You know, that's above my my pay grade. Uh, you know, impeachment is a political process. Uh, and I think just as a casual observer uh, of, of the process and as it's going on, um, the numbers just don't seem to add up. I, I don't want to get into the whole, can the president be indicted if he's a sitting president? Right. But let me ask you a question, Keith. After all the questions they asked you for those 15 hours, do you think the president would be indicted if he wasn't in the White House? Well, I think all you have to do is look at, at Michael Cohen's uh, plea agreement and, and indictment. Um, I mean, it's it's clear that they allege that he was part of a criminal conspiracy to commit campaign finance laws. And uh, by definition, a uh, conspiracy must involve more than one person. And so who who else could it be? But, you know, one person that we're not talking enough about, I think, in the first interview that, you know, you've done on GMA is Karen McDougal. I mean, you also did that deal, right? Yes. With AMI. And That's correct. She seems to kind of above it. I mean, what, what's your perception on that? I mean, this whole idea of catch and kill and David Pecker, that's a big part of him trying to keep it quiet during the campaign, no? I think so. But I think if you're a prosecutor, it's it's much more difficult. I mean, it's one, one step removed. Uh, that deal was not done with uh, Cohen or with Trump. That deal was, it was a, a really a personal services agreement between Karen McDougal and AMI. But all those people got immunity, right? I mean, David Pecker, uh, Dylan Howard, all those people got immunity, right? Yes. Because they admitted that they were working with Michael Cohen. They would protect the president. They admitted this to prosecutors. And you had a very incredible moment, which you mentioned to us in our interview, where you decided to talk to David Pecker because your client, Karen McDougal, said he wasn't honoring the contract. Take us through that. So there was a, there was a time where Karen believed that, that the AMI was not fulfilling terms of uh, their their contract. There were certain public appearances that were necessary, uh, articles, uh, magazine covers, and so forth. Because you had negotiated she would not tell about her affair if she sold her life story to AMI, which AMI did pick up. But in return, they'd also promised this publicity. They would put her out there in the magazines, correct? Correct. And so when when she believed that, that AMI was not fulfilling the terms of that deal, uh, she was upset. And we scheduled a meeting uh, with AMI. We, we went and uh, met with David Pecker. And uh, it was it was an incredible meeting, um, and there you know were even further promises that were made to her at that at that meeting. So the situation actually um, became worse, not better, uh, and that was really um, a great source of frustration for everyone involved on our side. And w- and when you when we know now what what David Pecker. Uh allegedly admitted to with prosecutors in the Southern District working with Cohen to protect the president. There was a phrase he used and something he's told Karen at that lunch that you said in our interview. And what was that? He said, I thank you. Thank you very much. I thank you. I wanted to, uh, out of respect to you, Karen, get you here in, in New York. I wanted to look you in the eye and, and have a face-to-face meeting. And I want to thank you very much. And I want to thank you for your loyalty. What drove David Pecker to do all this? You know, I don't know. I think you'd have to ask him, but it was pretty clear to me, uh, you know, both at the time and then even, you know, retrospectively looking back uh, that they AMI had already announced, uh, you know, their endorsement of of Donald Trump, if you will. Um, 
And I think that there's, you know, it's been well reported that there was a close personal relationship between David Pecker and Donald Trump. Yeah. And Keith, you sort of have a, a legal specialty. If people don't know your background, uh, you're familiar with catch and kill. We use that phrase a lot now in, in the era of Trump. What is that for people who don't really understand it? Well, catch and kill is nothing new. I mean, catch and kill has been going on for 100 years. Uh, and catch and kill is, is when a story is acquired and, and not run. And uh, oftentimes, you know, throughout the decades, it's been used as sort of uh, maybe bartering. So if there's a, a negative story about a celebrity that's about to run, uh, you know, oftentimes a publication or, or entity would uh, not run the story uh, in return for um, access. All right. And now let's go to the man of the moment, mm-hmm. Michael Cohen. Yes. I mean, you've known Michael a long time, right? What do you think of this whole situation overall when you see where he's at, that he's about to go to jail for three years? You know, I don't wish, I don't wish something like that really on anyone, um, uh, you know, or, or anyone's family. I think, you know, it's a very tough time for him, obviously, uh, and, and for his family. How did you get to become close with Michael Cohen? Because you guys essentially, you told me that in our interview, the first time he ever called you was back in 2011 when, when he threatened to crawl up an orifice in your body and, and ruin you, essentially. Those were your words, not yes. mine. So how do you go from there to flash forward doing an NDA with his hero, his boss, the guy he's going to take a bullet for, and then him confiding in you about his feelings about the president? You know, I've thought about that a lot. And, and one of the things that, you know, I've, I've thought about was w- when you deal with the subject matters that we were dealing with, confidential matters, there's not too many people to speak with about it. And so because we had uh, done this deal and spoken about confidential matters, I feel like, uh, you know, some of the uh, the ordinary protections, you know, in, in human relationships sort of dissipated and, and it, it there was a lot of confidences that were shared. And you guys were talking a lot, right? Oh, you guys ended up talking all the time. Probably 100, 200 times. Yes. What do people, don't, what do we don't know about Michael Cohen, the people that don't have to deal with him every day? He likes to talk, right? Oh, he loves to talk. He loves to talk. Yeah. And he loved his association with Donald Trump. And uh, that was front and center as to, to who he was. It was his life identity. Really was. Really was. Uh, and, and, and he embraced that. And he embraced his role in Donald Trump's life uh, as being Donald Trump's protector. Um, and, and, and he never lacked an opportunity to remind you of that. And when he, you mentioned in the TV interview about that he was despondent or, or sad that he was left behind, that he wasn't going to be chief of staff or attorney general. I mean, how bad was it? How sad was he? He called you on the phone. I think you, you said he was crying or, or emotional. Yeah, it was, it, I think he was highly despondent. Uh, and he wasn't crying that, that, that I know of, but, um, yeah, I recall the, the day vividly. Um, it was, after the election, but before the inauguration, it was shortly before Christmas, and I think it was a weekend day, and I was uh, shopping for my kids at a department store, um, and the, the phone rang. I took the phone call, and uh, I remember it was a prolonged discussion, uh, and he, he was very, very upset, uh, very despondent, um, just, just couldn't believe the fact that he was not going to Washington. And I know you've been dealing with this since the election. You've thought about this since the election. Do you think if Michael Cohen would have never paid, do you think if they would have just skipped that second deadline and just said, okay, forget it, Access Hollywood tape is hit, this thing's over, do, do you think Michael Cohen would, would be going to prison? Do you think his life would be this upside down? Was that the biggest mistake he ever made in his life? 
from an outsider looking in, it, it certainly looks like that. And and I think it's fair to say that 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 payment to Stormy Daniels was was the spark that lit the fire, uh, which is is now out of control. I mean, it's it's a, a wildfire of historic proportions, uh, and and I I think it's evident to me uh, and and I think most people that that it was the Stormy Daniels payment that was the the spark for this n- entire conflagration. And when you see I know you 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 parted from Stormy Daniels Michael Avenatti took over. I mean what do you think when you see the two of them kind of making a a business out of this? And and I asked you I mean Michael Avenatti was seen for a while there as a hero and you were being trashed repeatedly, both on cable news and, and on social media? Well, look, I, as you know, I'm a lawyer. I respect the process. I was in the middle of um, cooperating with the Southern District. Uh, they asked me to refrain from making any, any public comment, uh, and I felt that it was you know, my duty, uh, not just as a lawyer, but my duty as an American, just to let the wheels of justice progress. Um, so it, it wasn't easy uh, to sit back and, and take take some jabs, and I caught a lot of black eyes. I don't think you discussed it in the interview, too. There was a third client that you had, or it came up, and or did you do it in the, about Elliot Broidy? And there was this whole suggestion that it, this woman was impregnated in the Elliot Brody, a big a, Republican fundraiser. Big Republican fundraiser. But uh, when you watched all that going on, what's, what's, the, what's the record on that? Set the record straight on that. Well, what I can say is that, you know, there's – Documents that have been filed is an ongoing litigation, um, and I, and it's it's clear that in those publicly filed documents um, that that folks should not believe everything they read, uh, and and the rumor mill of um, you know who the father is, uh, you know I think it's pretty clear uh, in the filings and and to everyone who's involved in that case um, that sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. How is it, Keith? Because it is sort of so coincidental, if you will, or it's not. You represent Stormy Daniels, represent Karen McDougal. You get involved in this Elliot Brody saga as well. How do these clients find you? I mean, do they Google you? I mean, what what, what type of connections do you have? Because people may look at this and say, you and Michael Cohen did all these deals together. It's a little strange. You know, I don't think so. Uh, it, it's it's a small universe of folks that, that, that do this kind of work. Um, I receive a, a lot of referrals from other attorneys. Because you've carved out a niche business in Hollywood and really around the country when it comes to these types of situations. Well, they, they seem to find me these cases. Um, and you know, sometimes you, you handle one or two cases and you develop sort of an expertise in that area and w- w- whatever it is, uh, insurance claims or I just happen to be the, the NDA guy. Well, I, I expected to see your name pop up in the Jeff Bezos scandal, but it didn't. But he took a reverse. He, he, he decided not to play the catch and kill game, right? In, in that situation, the Jeff Bezos and Amazon with with AMI, right? He put it all out there. I, I and I think that's a, a, a maybe a new trend. And and look, I think you know what's what's also interesting, you know, from a societal effect of the last year uh, is the effect that the the hashtag Me Too movement has had on um, these events, the Karen McDougal, Stormy Daniels uh, matter, and and really. All NDAs. Um, you know, you wonder if, if NDAs are – there's legislation, pending legislation all over the country uh, to make NDAs unlawful. Uh, one more point because a lot of people have talked about this. Uh, you know, people say Donald Trump was so rich at the time, so much money. 
Stormy Daniels settled for $130,000. She later decided she, according to our sources, wanted more. Um, her attorney, Michael Avenatti, has said that you know he wanted the truth to come out. She has said that as well. She's since written a book and went on 60 Minutes. Do you think if that number was higher, if it was maybe $500,000, a million dollars, she would have just gone away and we would have never heard from her again? You know, who knows? Who knows? But I can tell you that, um, you know, for, for folks that say that the $130,000 wasn't enough, I think you need to look at that moment in time. Um, he, he wasn't president of the United States. And the um, odds are he wasn't going to be president of the United States. That was right? a conventional wisdom. Yeah. Right. I mean, I think even on election night, if we can all just bring ourselves back there, I think, mm-hmm. you know, the majority of America was shocked yep. that, it, that it occurred. Uh, so, you know, you wonder how much would that case have been worth? Uh, a day after the election or, or two days after the election, if he didn't win, it probably would have been worth nothing. And that number, to be clear, you did not come up with that number. I did not come up with that number. Okay. And 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 if Trump I came side, up with that number, it would have been a hell of a lot higher. And the Trump <laughs> side didn't come up with that number. The Trump side did not come up with that number. I asked you, what did you think? You, you think if, if this never would have occurred, if, if, if Trump would have still won the election, if Karen McDougal and Stormy Daniels, if, if that, that information actually had come out, would he still be president? You know, who knows? I, I can tell you what I think is, is clear to everyone now, that, that they thought that he would not have become president because they paid it. Uh, they had the opportunity to purchase the story in 2011 and all the way through 2016. We actually had a written contract, the first contract, and they failed to fund it. Uh, so, uh, But it has kept knows? you up at night. It's kept me up many nights. Yes. Chris, you know politics. I mean, what do you think? I mean, a- Access Hollywood plus, you know, the Christian right was so behind President Trump. If it was the Access Hollywood, a Playboy Playmate and a porn star, if all of that would have come out, do you think it would have made a difference? I, I mean, I covered the campaign. I don't know. I mean, you know, and I think with Donald Trump, he defies all the normal rules. I mean, you he should have been a, a John McCain story could have removed him from the election. So who knows? He I seems to have I, Teflon. He was, seems to have Teflon on on a lot of issues that uh, normal agreed. presidents would have either or candidates would have resigned and gone home. So uh, he's he's remarkable that way. I, I think at the time too, there during the campaign, there were sixteen or so women that came forward and said that they were somehow mistreated. So would this have been the straw that broke the camel's back, or or not? You know. Who knows? I think that's maybe one of the benefits of having uh, a crisis every single day is that you forget the crisis yesterday. Well, that's right. Have, have any other women contacted you with allegations against the president? And are you currently representing anyone? The answer is no to both questions. Thank you for joining us for another episode of The Investigation. Be sure to hit subscribe and leave us a rating. Thanks to our producers, Trevor Hastings and Shannon Crawford. And for my colleagues, Kira Phillips, John Santucci, Matt Mosk, and Tom Yamas, we'll see you next time on The Investigation. The Investigation.